Welcome, everybody, to the Pillar Tax Podcast. We've got our special guest again, uh, co-host, Mr. Dan Pillar. We got a great subject for you today because a lot of folks are confused about this or they don't know anything about it. Dan, we're talking about forgiveness of tax debt, tax debt forgiveness. And, you know, I wrote a couple questions down here I like to pose that I think will help a lot of people. Can you explain the circumstances under which tax debt can be forgiven and who typically is a person or people that would qualify for this tax debt forgiveness, Dan? Well, I generally break this into two different categories, Jay. The first category, I would say, are those people that that owe the taxes and cannot pay them, right? I just simply can't pay the tax I owe, right? In that situation, that person might qualify for what the IRS calls an offering compromise, which, which allows us to go into the IRS and say, look, guys, I owe you hundred grand. There's no way I can pay hundred thousand dollars, but I can pay, let's say five or 10 or 15,000. All right. Based on that situation, you would settle your case based on your ability to pay. So the offering compromise is generally focused on a person's ability to pay. And that is evaluated by income and expenses and assets and liabilities. The second category I would address are those folks that can pay the tax. All right, let's say you owe $100,000 to the IRS and you got you got $500,000 in an investment account. Well, the IRS is going to look at that and say, well, you can pay the tax liability. You got the money right there. Why should we reduce the liability to something less than full payment when you got all these resources sitting out there? But in that situation, Jay, we take a different approach. And the approach is if you owe $100,000 in taxes, you don't owe $100,000 in taxes, all right? You might owe $65,000 worth of taxes. Well, what, what, what do you mean if you owe $100,000, you don't owe $100,000? Explain it's, that one. It's because of the penalties and interest that the uh -huh. IRS loads into the bill, Jay. Okay. All right, okay. so if you owe if you owe hundred grand to the IRS, it's probably $65,000 worth of taxes and the rest of its penalties and interest. Well, here's the secret that the IRS very rarely talks about. And if they do mention it, they don't ever tell you how to do it. And that is every penalty provision of the tax code can be canceled if you as the taxpayer can demonstrate that your failure to act, in this case, failure to pay, was due to reasonable cause and not willful neglect. So if you can make that demonstration, they will cancel the penalty and they will cancel the interest on the penalty and that'll reduce the liability considerably. All right. So the first question I always ask a client when they come in the door is, let me see your financial situation. Let me see what your picture looks like. And if you qualify for an offer and compromise, that's the direction I want to go in with you. Now, just for example, we had a we had a case here that we just settled earlier this week. We got the resolution this week. My client owed about uh, $270,000 worth of taxes. We got an offering compromise settled, Jay, for $4,600. Wow. Right, that's, that's Can you say those numbers one more time? One more time. Client owed about $270,000. We settled with an offering compromise for about $4,700. Wow. Right, $4,600. And so uh, this is less than two cents on the dollar for a settlement, Jay. Now, okay. now here's the word of caution that I have to give along with that statement. There's no magic formula or percentage that applies to every case. So, so it's not a 10 cent on the dollar or two cent on the dollar settlement. And all you have to do is offer the IRS five cents on the dollar and they'll take it. That's okay. not how it works. Okay. It's a detailed evaluation of your financial facts and circumstances, income expenses, assets and liabilities, 
and your ability to pay going forward. So that factors mm -hmm. in your age, your health, your earning capacity, your education. All of these things are taken into consideration okay. in evaluating your ability to pay. So it has to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. That is incredible. So, Dan, here's the key. I know a lot of people are going to ask. I got everybody's attention. You're going from 200 plus thousand down to less than 5,000. Again, you're talking about about two cents on the dollar. Well, what is the process for applying for tax debt forgiveness? And how does that, how long does that typically take? Because there's a, I know there's some people out there, they're trying to hide and duck and run from some of these outstanding tax bills, but they probably don't know that this process can, you know, be streamlined through working through somebody like you. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, that's probably the most common mistake that people make, Jay, is putting their head in the sand and trying to hide from it. All right. It only makes matters worse. It never fixes the problem. And so you got to address the situation going forward. So in answer to your question, again, there's two different categories. Let's talk okay. about the compromise situation. Let's talk okay. about the uh, let's talk about the penalty strategy. The process of applying for an offer and compromise is very, very systematic. All right, you have to submit the offer yourself. This is very important to understand that the IRS is never going to offer you a settlement. You <laughs> as the delinquent taxpayer have to step forward and start the negotiation okay. with the IRS. All right, it's done by submitting the offer and compromise form itself, which is IRS form 656. In addition to the 656 form, which presents the offer, I owe you X, I can, I, I, I'm offering to settle for Y. In addition to doing that, you have to submit financial information. Okay. All right, if you're in, for individuals, you submit IRS form 433A, which sets forth individual income and expenses, assets and liabilities. Okay. If you have a business, then you submit both the form 433A and 433B. In addition to the forms that you fill out that, that disclose your financial situation, the IRS wants backup documents, all right? And so bank statements, they want uh, bank statements for businesses. They're going to want a profit and loss statement. If you're a wage earner, your most recent earnings statements. If you've got retirement accounts, you need statements for the retirement accounts, the value of your home, your outstanding mortgage, your vehicles, your life insurance, all of these things have to be documented, Jay, and it's a very methodical process that has to be followed to do it, all right? So yeah. that's for the offer and compromise. Now, I talked about penalty cancellation strategies. Gotcha. Penalty cancellation strategies, Jay, don't have anything to do with how much money you have. You could have a million dollars cash in the bank and owe the IRS 50000 and still get penalties canceled. Because that's not based on your financial ability to pay. That's based on your reasonable cause. All right. Okay. What I mean by that, what the IRS means by that is, did you have some good faith reason why you couldn't uh, comply with your obligations filing at, at that at that time. So you might be doing a lot better now, but at that time you could have some extenuating circumstances. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a very important point. The facts and circumstances that the IRS evaluates are those that existed at the time that you were required to act and didn't. All right. And so if you can demonstrate that there are facts at, 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 uh, at play in your life, that put you into a position where through no fault of your own attributable to circumstances beyond your control uh, that were unforeseen, you couldn't file or pay on time, medical injury, illness, medical illness, injury, failed business, natural disaster, fire, flood, hurt, any of the divorce, drug, alcohol, any of these kinds of things, Jay, okay. that rise to the level of reasonable cause if they put you into a position where through no fault of your own, you couldn't comply. 
All right, that's done through a very, very detailed, very specific written explanation that we make to the IRS in letter form that we have signed under penalty of perjury that makes it an affidavit. And then we support that statement with as much background documentation as we can. If we talk about an illness or injury, we provide medical records. If we talk about a failed business, we provide uh-huh. financial records. If we talk about a failed ma- marriage, we provide divorce records. Uh-huh. Right? So any bit of information that we have to document the problem goes in along with it. Now, in terms of time, when we're talking about an offer and compromise, it usually takes about a year from okay. the time it's submitted until the time it's accepted or rejected. And then there's an appeal, right, if it's rejected. Can they do collection activity while you're doing this? Uh, important point. No, they cannot. Uh, ah. by, law, by law, Jay, this is a statute. It's not discretionary. The IRS cannot enforce collection while a request. So nobody a- can have their wages garnished, no liens. None of that stuff can happen. Yeah, that's exactly time. right. In fact, I've got a, I've got a great case to tell you about. Okay. I'm an offer and compromise I submitted for a client. This is many years ago, probably five, six years ago. Uh, the IRS was levying this guy's Social Security of about $2,500 a month. Wow. We submitted an offer and compromise, and they continued the wage levy in effect illegally. All right. So I pounded on the IRS to get that levy released. And I went in this direction. I went in this direction. I went in this direction. I finally got the levy released, Jay, after about, let's let's just say roughly five months. They were taking, okay. taking $2,500 a month for five months. All right. And so they had, they had, uh, you know, what is that? That's, uh, 12, that's about, about $12,500. That's exactly right. So we submit the offer and compromise to the IRS. In the meantime, I'm working through the offer. Okay. The offer was for about $10,000. I got the offer accepted. At the time I got the offer accepted through another channel of the IRS, I got them to release the money they Ill- illegally levied. So they sent my client back the 12 grand, which we used to pay the <laughs> offer, which was which we got accepted. So it was it was it turned that was out great. Be- I bet your client was like, this is this is incredible. Oh, it was it was it was tremendous, no question about that. But 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 so so anyway, they, they can't levy in the process. That's an important point. Dan, Dan, about- I just want to stop on because a lot of people that are listening to us right now, they might be getting these levies or these leads or whatever. And so you can do something about it right now. Yeah, yeah, no, no question about it. As a matter of fact, I'm writing an article right now as we speak. Uh, I stopped just just so we could do our cast here. I'm writing an article on the statutory requirements that apply when the IRS issues a levy that they must release as a matter of law. And one of the most important things that people need to understand, Jay, is the IRS cannot maintain a levy in effect against wages, a bank account, a third-party source of any kind if that levy is causing a hardship, financial hardship. And Mm -hmm. financial hardship is defined as the inability to pay necessary living expenses. So this is not discretionary with the IRS, Jay. It's mandatory. They must release that levy if it's causing a hardship. In the case of an offer and compromise, they have to release the levy or can't start a new levy simply because the offer is pending. The act of an offer pending stops mm. their right to let wow that is now, incredible yeah now let's talk about penalty abatement strategy here for just okay. a second you asked about how long that yeah took. yeah we want to know about that yeah that, that's that's a little bit faster jay we submit the penalty abatement request to the irs it goes to a unit of the irs called uh the the penalty abatement coordinator they look at it they review it they almost always say no on the front end and this is, you know, I, and I tell this to people so they don't discourage, get discouraged right, because right. these these, uh, 
These initial front-end reviewers that look at this stuff have never seen a case of reasonable cause, all right? They, they don't think there's any reason on earth why a person shouldn't have paid their taxes on time. They just okay. can't imagine anything Amen. that might go on in a person's life that would put them into a position where they can't pay their taxes, right. all right? But the good news is there's an appeals process. So it usually takes about three to four months to get the initial response then you have an opportunity to appeal, and then it usually takes another three to four months to get it through the appeals process and get a, a proper resolution from the appeals office. And the appeals right. officers, uh, generally speaking, do get to the right answer in these things, Jay. So that's generally where we get the penalty. Mm -hmm. So that process is a little bit shorter than the offer and compromise process. That's great. That's great. This is awesome information. Folks, I hope you're really appreciating that. Make sure you go over to PillarTaxAcademy.com. Got all types of supportive material there for you. Got some great courses. Get yourself educated when it comes to taxes. I got one last question for you, Dan, on this podcast episode. Are there any long-term implications or considerations for taxpayers who have their tax debts forgiven? Well, yeah, there are. First of all, when, when you go through an offer and compromise program, Jay, one of the terms of the offer is that you have to file your tax returns on time and pay your taxes on time for the next five years. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a probationary period, all right? So I tell my clients, it is vitally important for you to arrange your affairs so that you don't have another tax problem going forward. Because if you do, two or three or four years down the road, fall off the beam again and create a new liability, they're gonna go back and revoke the offer that was accepted and reinstate those liabilities that you negotiated away through your offer and compromise. You oh. can't let that happen. So I tell my clients, you got to move heaven and earth to stay current on your taxes going forward. And we help our clients do that. We babysit our clients going forward okay. uh, to make sure, especially the, especially the small business clients that have a tendency to fall off the beam, as you probably know. And so yeah. we, we, you know, we work to keep these guys on the beam and keep them current going forward uh, so that they don't have these problems again. And so it is important for people to understand that the long-term consequence is that five-year probationary period. Now, there's some good news with the consequences as well. The okay. slate gets wiped clean, Jay. We're talking about a clean slate here. Okay. Right? So my client that owed the $270,000 that got his offer accepted for less than five grand, he's got a clean slate now. And going forward, he's going to be able to do the things that he needs to do in, in work and in life. Now, another consequence of an accepted offer and compromise is the IRS releases the liens. All right. So now your credit report is free of tax liens and okay. they put on the credit report the lien was released. So it's not like a bankruptcy, Jay. If you file bankruptcy, that goes on your credit report, and that's a negative. Right. Even if you get rid of your tax debts in bankruptcy, which some tax liabilities are dischargeable in bankruptcy. Most people don't know that, but it's true. And frankly, this is one of the negotiation leverages that I use with the IRS. Is that You'll bring that up. You'll say, hey, yeah, that goes yeah, bankruptcy. Absolutely. Yeah, if my client qualifies to have his taxes discharged in bankruptcy, I absolutely cram that down the IRS's throat because they need to know that we got options here if you're not going to play ball with us. But the point is that a bankruptcy is a negative mark on your credit score, and it has a, a significant negative impact on your credit score. An accepted offer and compromise does not. Wow. That does not go on your credit score. Nobody knows no, that no. you, except the IRS, of course, that you negotiated the settlement with the IRS. What happens is once your offer is accepted okay. and you pay off that offer, within about 30 to 45 days, the IRS issues certificates of release of the federal tax liens, the liens go away. Wow. 
And so we get those those releases recorded with the uh, county recorder's office. And now what was a significant negative black mark on your credit report is gone. And that boosts your credit score considerably. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, this has been like power packed, just like concentrated information. I love it, you know, because a lot of people want to ask these questions. And I think today was one that kind of like should be relief because most people I'm finding, Dan, because I talked to so many people. One day I was sitting down and these were with, I think, five people who had all earned either a million or millions of dollars. And I went around and I said, anybody, any of y'all here ever had a tax problem? Every hand went up. Every hand goes up. So yeah. most people, that tells me, most people sometime or another, especially business people, are going to end up with a tax problem. Would you say? Oh, there, yeah, there's no question about it, Jan. And in fact, let me let me give you some numbers here. Uh, you know, this tax year, 2023, there, there are about 160 plus or minus 162 million individual income tax returns filed. The IRS will issue about 40 million penalties against individuals and businesses against 160 million tax returns. Jay, that's about one out of that, that's about one out of four, one out of yeah. five. One out of four. Taxpayers yeah. getting hit with a pit, one out of six. I don't know what the math is yeah. off the top. It's about one out of four. That's what it is. All right. Uh and 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 that's 25%, man, of every taxpayer out there getting hit with a penalty. And so I mean it's significant. There's no question about it. And two-thirds of all the penalties, Jay, are assessed against small businesses, even though they only file about 15% of the tax returns. So it's disproportionately loaded on small businesses. There's no question about it. So why is the, the, the business owner's tax mastery course like a must-have over at Pillar Tax Academy if someone's listening has got a business? Oh, there's there's no question. It's a it's a must. I mean, for for example, in the in the in the uh, in the uh, business tax mastery course, I go through about fifteen or sixteen of the most common problems that small businesses have with the IRS and staying in compliance, and I show you how to avoid them. There's a chapter in the tax mastery course that shows you how to deal with penalties. I do a deep dive into the penalty abatement strategies and penalty relief rules, so that if you're facing a penalty for for not treating your employees properly or not doing the withholding properly or not making the deposits on time, which is the single most common penalty, by the way, for businesses, delinquency with respect to employees. All right. So all employers need to know how those rules work and what the penalty abatement strategies are for them. I do a deep dive into that material in the Small Business Tax Mastery Course. The other thing I show you in the Small Business Tax Mastery Course, Jay, uh, Jay, which is vitally important for small businesses, especially these days, is the difference between how you have to treat an employee and how you have to treat an independent contractor. Yeah. A lot of businesses think, well, I'll just treat my workers as independent contractors yep. and I won't have to worry about the withholding and I won't have to worry about any of these problems. And it's right. not that simple because the rules are very specific, they're very complicated and they're very detailed. And I walk you through them one at a time with specific case examples to show you how to apply them so you don't get blindsided by these technical rules man so just for just a few hundred bucks folks you know you're talking less than three four hundred dollars you're going to be able to get yourself equipped with the information and that information is going to save and make you money so you got to take that course so dan it's been another powerhouse episode hey y'all get back here with us again we're doing a couple of these a week to make sure that you stay on top of the tax game like nobody else. One thing that 
I went and told Dan, I said, Dan, we got to make taxes sexy, man. We got to make taxes sexy. Got to be more pizzazz to it. We all got to pay. Might as well have fun with it. So, Dan, thanks again for another fabulous, informative podcast. We'll catch everybody next week. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Jay. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>